is Father's Day. And uh, I have a message I believe is going to do a few things for us. It's, it's centered on fathers, but it's not specifically about fathers. Um, and so I want to preface the message this morning with this. I believe today's message will do one of three things for you, maybe all three of these. Uh, but here, here's what I believe how God is going to touch us today. For some of you, it's going to be a comfort. You're going to leave today going, wow, I just needed to hear that. That really comforted me. For some of you, it's going to bring correction. And, and you might walk out of here going, wow, I really didn't need to hear that this morning, but I really needed to hear that this morning. And for some of you, it's simply going to encourage you. It's going to encourage you to step out, step up, step in, in ways that you've never done so before. Uh, this is not a message that's geared specifically towards dads. Uh, it's geared towards the body of Christ, and that's all of us. Amen? All right. I am fighting a scratchy throat today, which is not a good thing right before you're going to fly for 20-something hours. Um, but in Jesus' name, healing. You know, I remember growing up, um, I looked at my dad, and I just, there was just a sense of awe. Like, my dad could do anything. Like, I just watch him, and um, my dad could do anything. And, and you know when you're a kid, you had those conversations on the playground, especially when you were, you know, first grade and kindergarten. That, was first, that first exposure you were having to, to other kids, to other children, right, without, without mom and dad around. And invariably, the conversation would go to comparing dads, right? Well, my dad... My dad's bigger than your dad. My dad's stronger than your dad. My get you right, and it usually, it always kind of like, especially for boys, it devolved into like, my dad can beat up your dad, and, and that's just right, our dad thing. But but our dads just held this this place of awe in our lives. My dad was amazing. Specifically, my dad was uh, he had this ability to to fix things, and even more specifically, uh, cars. I, I get that, that ability from my dad. I watched him, and, and he taught me. And I, there was just like, there was never anything that phased him. We owned a, a, a trucking business uh, growing up, and we did a lot. We had a lot of, like, heavy machinery, like caterpillars, bulldozers, and, and those kinds of things. And um, my dad could just fix all of it. Like, his knowledge about, uh, about mechanical things just blew my mind and still does. My dad is... Uh, still a diesel mechanic, almost 70 years old, and he's still turning wrenches. He's one of the best welders I've ever seen in my life. I've seen my dad weld things that, that other people said, oh, you can't weld that, you can't fix that. And my dad would figure it out and weld stuff that, it was just amazing. Uh, he ran a business, ran a huge business, hundreds of trucks traveling all over the country. Um, and I just was in awe of my dad. But it wasn't just that. My dad uh, was also really involved at church. Uh, growing up, and I shared a little bit about the church that I grew up in a few weeks ago, my dad and my mom were always involved in church. We're, if he wasn't working, we were at church. We would be at church, at church on Saturdays helping to, to set up, and our church went through a big move where we were meeting in a tent, a big circus tent. Well, before we could erect that tent, we had to clear the land and pour concrete. So my dad brought his machines and his equipment. And I just saw my dad serving in church. And, uh, you know, I remember one Christmas, of course, my dad has, has silver hair. He turned gray when he was 24 years old. And so he was the perfect wise man. 
He was always the wise man. He was, and I just remember my dad seeing him up on that stage. I'm like, wow, that's that's my dad. And I was always just in awe of his comfortability with talking to people. He would go from talking to the CEOs of mining corporations to, to talking to people at church, and he was just at ease, and still is. If you've met my dad, he just, he's a great conversationalist. He's great to chat with. Um, just awe and wonder. We grow up with this sense that there's nothing my dad can't do. We just go, oh, my dad, he's incredible. It's important for us that we have that in our childhood because what happens is, is it shapes and it helps shape not only our perception of our earthly fathers, but of our heavenly father. That sense of awe and wonder that we would bring to Father God to see who he is and what he's able to do. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is the God of the impossible, and that's the title of my message today, God of the impossible. He is the God of the impossible. There is nothing too difficult for him. Listen to this, Jeremiah 20, uh, chapter 32, verse 26 through 28. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? God says these words to Jeremiah in a season where Jerusalem has been surrounded and besieged by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and the city is about to fall. In fact, God has given a prophetic word to Jeremiah to pass on to the king that says, it's, it's all falling apart, and the king will go into captivity, and the city will fall. And so Jeremiah is lamenting about this. He's upset about this. God says, is anything too hard for me? He says, Yes, you're going to go into captivity because of the sin in the land. You're going to go into captivity, but I am going to restore everything that is taken. And there will be a generation that will come back and will occupy and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And later on, we read about Nehemiah and Ezra who do exactly that. And in the, me- in the midst of seemingly impossible odds, unsurmountable challenges, God says, is anything too hard for me, he's the God of the impossible. Matthew 19, 25 through 26 says this, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are impossible. Jesus had been sharing about some of the obstacles that people would face and some of the roadblocks that there would be in people coming to faith in him. That there are things in our lives that will stand in the way of us receiving the gospel, receiving the word of God in our lives. And he's warning about those things. And so the disciples are perplexed. They're, they're a little afraid. They're going, wait, wait a minute. If that's the case, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, you know, you look with your human eyes and you see the impossible. But with God... All things are possible. This morning, right here in the prayer circle before service, uh, Mindy was sharing a testimony. I'm going to use your name because I know people can follow up with you about this, about a neighbor of theirs who has been antagonistic since, ever since they moved into uh, their home and into the complex where they lived. And uh, I love you. You used the word at war. I apologize. I didn't you get your permission. Are we okay? All right at war with each other, and she shared the story of how this person who was so anti uh, came and knocked on their door and said, do you do, do devotions? They're going, y- yes. 
You know, you kind of get that, where's this going, right? And, and this neighbor bought them devotionals with scripture, and turns out this person had started going to church and had given their life to the Lord. And I loved the response was like, wow, this is just weird, because we didn't see this coming. And, and I know you guys have been faithful in praying for that neighbor and, and covering them, but, but wow, sometimes when the impossible happens, we go, whoa, whoa, that's amazing. it actually happened. And it kind of rocks us a little bit. Why? Because we see with human eyes and we imagine there's no way that person would ever surrender their lives. And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Can we say that together? All things are possible. Here's the thing. As we get older, we realize that our dads aren't perfect. And they're not the Superman that we thought. They're not the Superman that we thought. They're not the the strength, that they have mistakes. They don't always have the answers, and sometimes they get it wrong. I know in my teens and my 20s, as with many young men and young women, but I'll focus on the guys because I'm a guy and I know what I walk through, I started thinking this, I know more than my dad. I know better than my dad. And my dad went from being my superhero to, to someone I despised in my heart who frustrated me and little things started irritating me about my dad, which were just dumb. And I recognize now it was the enemy's tactic to bring division between me and my father and ultimately to bring division and mess up my relationship with my heavenly father. See, I grew up in the 80s where TV shows portrayed most dads as just bumbling buffoons. Do you remember that? There was an all-out assault on dads in the 80s and beyond that just made them out to be morons, right? The L. Bundys and the, the Homer Simpsons and so many others that didn't honor fathers. And it gave us the right as a culture. Or it gave us what we thought was a right to look at our dads and go, you're just a fool. I know better than you. I want to make a note real quick. Not, I, I understand this, that not all dads uh, were present, and not all dads got it right in a sense of not just they made mistakes, but they, they actually brought harm and damage and pain. And so for those of you that would be sensitive to that this morning, that would be sensitive to, well, my dad, I, I don't know my dad. I never met my dad, or my dad was abusive, or there were places of hurt. Please know that my heart, Uh, aches for you, but more than that, the heart of our Father aches for you and extends compassion, and so I don't want to gloss over that and just ignore that. I know for some that your dad's no longer with you. Maybe your dad has passed away, and so there's a gaping hole there, and I don't want to gloss over that and or be insensitive to that, and so just keep that in mind as I continue to share. Um, We don't want to diminish that, Uh, But I do still believe that there's a word in here that God wants to share with you to encourage you. So I want to share three words. Three words. Uh, You know, the Bible talks about uh, 
the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is effective. It's like a two-edged sword, right? It can, it can cut to, to the joint and through the marrow. It can get to the heart of issues. The Word of God is, is powerful when we declare it out loud that things happen in the, in the heavenly realms, that, that heaven and earth will move at the Word of God. Jesus calmed that storm with what? A word, right? He spoke, and the, calm, the, the storm was calmed. I have three words, three statements, three things from, I believe that are from the heart of God for you today. The first is a word to children. A word to children. And, and when I say children, I'm not talking about the little kids or the, our J-12, I mean our, our, our youth, our junior high and high school students. How many of us in here are children? All right? You're all somebody's kid. We're all someone's kid. And you get older, right? And you change and we'll just leave it at that. Um, but, but you're always going to be someone's kid. There's always going to be that person, that mom and that dad, whether you had relationship with, with them or not. Uh, there was, you, you, someone carried you and gave birth to you. There was a, a, a father that was involved in that process. And so a word to children is really a word to all of us because we never stop being children. Now, now, let me clarify, some people never stop acting like children, and that's a whole nother conversation, all right? But we're all kids. We're all someone's kids. Proverbs 23, verse 20 through 25 says this, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. By the truth, uh, buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has a great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and your mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. What's the writer saying here? He's saying this, that as a child you need to honor your parents. You need to honor your parents and that we have a responsibility as children to make decisions that honor our moms and our dads. And so often, you know, in our culture, parenting is kind of a one-sided thing. It's like, you know, you better be a good parent and then the kids are kind of free to do whatever. Kids, you guys better, the younger children, pay attention to this. That in our culture, the onus is on the parents to make sure that the kids grow up right, but we very rarely place responsibility on the children to behave in a way that's honoring, right? And we use the word entitlement in our culture. There's this entitlement. Well, I have my rights. And, and the reality is we have a responsibility as parents, but we also have a responsibility as children to honor. This word despise. Listen and do not despise. I, I want to refer back to what happened in my heart. I would look at my dad and it wasn't like, man, you're just bugging me. It's, it, became more de- it became more deeply rooted than that when I would look at my dad and I was like, man, I despise, like I, I just, I can't stand being with you. I can't stand being around you. You just really irritate me and I just, oh, can't, why, can't, why can't you just be different? Right, and I'm not just talking about like the dad jokes. Right, I get all kinds of grief from my kids about my dad jokes, and I'm like, you just hold on. One day it's going to be you making the dad jokes. So you just, your time is coming, and that it's not that. Like we have great fun in our family, but you know what I'm talking about. There becomes that that comes that point where you're despising, and there's no blessing when you despise. 
You can't be a person who despises someone else, especially your mother and father, and expect there to be a hand of blessing in your life. So we have to honor. In fact, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, in referencing the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments, says this, children, again, who are children in the house? Who are children? All right, so it's all of us. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother, your father and mother, which is the first commandment, listen to this, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I've talked to so many people in my years in ministry who have struggled, who've come to roadblocks in their lives and just not being able to see breakthrough. And when we start having a conversation about their upbringing and addressing hurt, and addressing unforgiveness, and addressing the fact that, that there is a, a lack of honoring of parent, parents, if they're able to and willing to submit and surrender and forgive, there is a breakthrough that happens every single time. The first commandment that comes with a promise in the Bible, if you do this, you will be blessed. You will enjoy long life on the earth. And so as children, young and old, We need to make it a priority. We need to make it a focus that we honor, that we respect, and that we do not despise. The second word I have is this. This is specifically to fathers, a word to fathers. There's a great responsibility that comes with fathering, with fathering. And there's a lot of men in the world, and there's a lot of men that I know that have been a part of the the process of seeing a child born into this world, but have never actually functioned as a father, have not been present, who who have kind of shirked the responsibility of being that man. It is a great responsibility to be a father. Ephesians 6, 4, right on the heels of what we just read, says this, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The idea here and the exasperation is this. It's not like, hey, don't just just tease your kids and make them frustrated. It's deeper than that. We exasperate our kids when we train them and we raise them on anything other than the ways of the Lord. Because it will cause a frustration inside of their hearts and inside of their spirit and in the midst of the purity of their childhood that will be, it will be at odds. It'll be a struggle, a point of contention in them. I remember this moment for me in my life very clearly. I was eight years old. Growing up in South Africa in a time when uh, apartheid was the law of the land and As I said, I admired my dad so greatly, and we went to church, but I remember one particular day, it was the first time I'd seen racism in my father, and the way that he had talked to one of his employees, a black man, and and how condescending and and, 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 uh, dishonoring it was, and it did something inside of me. And I couldn't explain it. I was eight years old, but I just knew that what I was seeing on the part of my dad did not line up with the word of God. We exasperate our children when we tell them, hey, you need to listen to the the word of God and you need to read your Bible. And then we don't do the same. We exasperate and we frustrate our children when we tell them what to do. We don't show them what to do. I love this statement. I uh, I hear, I've heard Wayne Cordero say this. I've heard other iterations of this, but it's this. You, will, you can teach what you know, but you ultimately reproduce what you are. 
You can teach what you know, but you ultimately reproduce what you are. And the responsibility on dads is to not just teach what we know, but it's to live in accordance with God's word and so, so align our lives as, as fathers and as husbands with the word of God that our kids just watch it and start emulating it. And you know what? There will not be exasperation in their lives. There'll be some moments of tension and frustration. It's a part of growing up. But that spiritual exasperation that says, I'm conflicted because in my spirit I know I'm supposed to live a different way, but I'm seeing something else modeled. As dad's the responsibility, the onus is on us to lead our homes and to lead our children in a way where they see, not, not, not just hear what we say, but where they see the way we live. See, Paul... Here in Ephesians 6, we understand that this whole chapter is where he talks about that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And he goes on to talk about the armor of God. This, this instruction about family and about parenting, about marriage, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and then into chapter 6, is all rooted in spiritual warfare. Is absolutely... So, so parenting... And being a father and being a mother and being a husband and being a wife is not simply going through the motions. It's not an act of, well, this is just what you do. I read a book, I watched my parents, and I'm going to just give it my best shot. But that we bring an element of spiritual warfare because that's where the battleground is. Can I just tell you right now, the enemy's goal is to destroy your family, to destroy your children, to destroy your marriage. Raising kids is a battle. Can I get an amen? Amen. Raising kids is a battle. But listen, it's not a battle against your kids. It's not a battle against your kids. The battle is against the enemy. And as fathers, as the heads of our homes, as a spiritual authority, the priests in our homes, the responsibility falls to us to make sure that we are fathers who pray and ask for the impossible in the lives of our children. Not because we can provide it, but because we serve the God of the impossible. And when my faith as a father rises up and I start praying over my children and believing over my children and declaring over my children the things of God that I don't even fully understand, that there is a spiritual breakthrough that comes. A spiritual breakthrough. Now, I know this. In my life, the, the, the prayers of my mom were instrumental, instrumental Because she told me she was praying for me because that's just the way she's wired. My dad, I know, prayed for me, but I found out over the years just kind of more quietly because he didn't announce it. There was a season where I left South Africa. I just turned 18 and I got an airplane and I flew halfway around the world by myself. And I relocated to the U.S. not knowing whether or not my family would be coming after me. Um, And I lived here about six months on my own before my family actually ended up joining me. And in that season, it was one of the hardest seasons of my life, being absolutely alone, absolutely alone. Had some friends, but my family was not nearby. And we're a close, tight-knit family. Since discovered that my dad, who is not very emotive, is not like me in that sense, uh, missed me terribly to the point that he was crying. And he said in those tears that he was praying for me. I didn't know. 
But I do know this, it made all the difference. It made all the difference. Dads, the responsibility and the opportunity we have to pray for our kids can mean the difference between life and death for them. And we have to take it that seriously. We have to go to bat for them with the spiritual authority that has been given to us. And can I tell you, no one else can step in and take that place. I see so many homes and so many marriages where a dad is not operating and and stepping up into that place and where a mom will try and fill that gap. And a mom can only do so much, but there is something about the prayers and the leadership of a father in the home that is so critical. And again, it comes back to, it shapes so much of our perspective of our heavenly father. Proverbs 22, verse 6, start, start off children, start children off rather in the, on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Another version says, train up a child in the way they should go. That the investments we make early on and regularly through their early lives are, are eternal investments. Even if we don't see the fruit right away, I see parents who give up. They're like, I just don't know. They're exasperated. Listen, when you plant seeds, you don't get fruit right away. You don't even see anything emerge from the ground, but trust that the seeds that you are planting are good. And some may be thinking this, it's too late. My kids are grown or I, I, I don't, I, I, that relationship is strained and I just don't have that place. I don't have that, that, that authority. I don't have what it takes, Lord, you know, to, to, to pour into them. And I can't get that back. I've made too many mistakes, and here's the reality. It's never too late. I don't care if your kids are grown and married and have children of their own. It's never too late. There's always the opportunity to go back and to reclaim those things that the enemy has stolen and robbed from your family. I remember hearing this statement. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today, is today. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Listen, don't let the enemy convince you that it's too late because God has not removed that authority. He's not removed the ability for you to step in and step up. And again, I'm talking right now, and this is good for all of us, but specifically for the dads in the room. It's not too late. Start on your knees. Start praying. If your children are adults, start praying for your adult children. You still carry authority because they are your children. There will always be your children. Maybe some conversations need to be had. Maybe some love needs to be extended and some grace needs to be there. Start today. And then finally, a word about faith. A word about faith. So let's turn our attention to our Heavenly Father. Genesis, or rather, let's go to Romans chapter 4, verse 18. We read here the account of Abraham and Sarah when God had come to them and said, In their old age, you're going to have children. 
And they had a hard time receiving that word. It says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. I mean, just no ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. We serve the God of the impossible. In fact, when you read that account Uh, in the Old Testament, when you go back to Genesis, and it says that when Sarah heard these words, she laughed. The the word there is scoff. She scoffed, like, that's not going to happen. I'm an old woman. I'm an old woman. There is no way this body is giving birth to a baby. Not going to happen. And she mocked, she scoffed God in that moment. But Abraham stood his ground and he said, God's promise is real. And man, there was, it's a bumpy road. When you read about their story, it didn't go, always go as planned. They tried to get in the way and try and fix it themselves when it was taking a little longer than they thought it should. Are we not good at that? God, you seem slow in coming, so I'm going to try and fix something to help you along. And we just muck it up a little bit more, right? And God says, no, we, we need to stop and we need to have faith and trust in him. In the same way that my heart grew hard against my dad when I was a teenager and I despised him, it's so easy for us to look at God and go, you know, God, you said, but I haven't seen the results. I haven't seen you come through the way that I've wanted you to come through. And slowly but surely, we lose the faith that we had when we were children. I love our kids, our little ones. They make declarations about God's word because they believe it wholeheartedly. There's nothing to get in the way. There's no filter that that gets in the way, right? And I've heard stories from so many of you and read things on Facebook about, wow, this is a conversation I had with my son this morning, and this is what he said. And, And we stand amazed by their faith. But the reality is we need to have that same kind of faith. The thing is, is that we start letting things get in the way. And because we do that, our prayers change. My prayers change. I've seen it in seasons of my life where I'm more in a place where I'm going, you know, God, um, it'd it'd be nice if you just kind of ease up on the the burden a little bit. It'd be nice if you just kind of, you know, pull back a little bit and let some of the pressure off. Versus going, you know, I am a son of the Most High. I'm clothed with righteousness. I am the head, not the tail. I'm above, not below. And standing in the promises, you see, Abraham received a promise from God. And he stood in that promise. He stood in the word that had been declared over his life. What are the promises? What is the word of of God over your family and over your, your life, over your home, over your children? Can I tell you this morning, church, it's time for us to ask for the impossible because we serve the God of the impossible. 
What is it and where is it that you need him to move in miraculous ways? Because he is wanting to move. You see, faith, faith is this thing that it's not, you know, I've talked about this before. Our faith isn't in our faith. Our faith, when I say we need to have faith, I'm not saying, well, you need to conjure something up. Faith is simply this. It's taking God at his word. It's saying this, God, you have the power to do what you promised you would do. And I'm going to believe and I'm going to hold you to that because you said it. And what happens is when we're faithful, I mean, when we, we, when we function with faith, God matches that faith with his faithfulness. Israel got right up to the Jordan River. They're literally across the river looking at the promised land, this land that had been promised to them. And so Moses says, listen, we're going to pick up 12 people, pick out 12 men, representatives of each tribe, and we're going to send them as spies into the land to check out the land. And those spies came back, and if you remember the story, there's two who had a good report, Joshua and Caleb, and 10 had a negative report. And it says in the word of God that they spoke that negativity. They spoke those words. They said, we are like grasshoppers. They're going to squish us like bugs. And as those words came out of the mouths of the ten, it says that the people's hearts melted in fear. Now remember, these are the same people that walked across the Red Sea and dry land. The same people that had seen God provide in the desert water and manna, the same people who had seen the Egyptian army wiped out when not a single one of them was equipped for battle. And now they stand in this place where 10 men come with a word that is not a good word and they melt like, like, just their, like wax, their, their fear, their resolve is just gone. And God says to them, because you are, you're lacking the faith to believe my promises, you will not inherit this land. And he says to Joshua and Caleb, the two who stood and said, we can do this. Yeah, there's opposition, but we can do this. You know, out of those 12, two possessed the land. Two had their lives extended so that they could walk in the faithfulness of God. Why? Because when we match our faith to God's faithfulness, our faith to his promises, he meets us in that place and is always going to show himself faithful. But like I said with children, that there is a responsibility on kids to honor their parents that we have to come with a sense of honor to the Lord, that it's not a, the two-year-old in the store going, I want an ice cream, right? You know the kid I'm talking about, right? You turn into that aisle, and you're like, oh, we're just going to go around the other way. And the parent is just like, ah, finally gives in and says, fine, here's the ice cream. God does not function like that. His resolve is absolute. And he says this, if you will honor me and come before me with faith, I will meet your faith with faithfulness and you will see my word accomplished in your life. Where is it that you need to trust God for the impossible in your life? Where is that you need to stand and say, God, I'm going to take you at your word? This is not simply about naming it and claiming it. Some of you remember that from years ago but it's about the condition of our hearts. Even in the midst of 
unsurmountable odds and opposition, Abraham had faith, and God honored that faith. Jesus, I'll close with this, says this. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Listen to the shift in the language here. Nothing will be impossible for for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. Why? Because he's your daddy. He's your heavenly father who has good things. We sang this morning, he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. Nothing will be impossible for you because nothing is impossible for him. Can we stand together? You know, sometimes I feel like my faith should be like a microwave. We, we just moved into a, a, a different home, and uh, we don't have a microwave. And, and i got to tell you, that's inconvenient. Because, <laughs> man, that ability just to pop something in and heat it up, we, we've got to plan ahead now. Um, sometimes we treat our faith like the microwave. God, just give me the faith in the moment. But really, our faith is more like the oven, where you've got to do some preheating. And maybe your faith right now, this morning, you're feeling like, okay, I'm not feeling it, Barry. I'm hearing the words you're saying, but I'm, I have not seen the results. Can I just tell you right now, maybe turn the dial from 125 up to 350 and give it a little bit of time to heat up. Declare some words. Read the Word of God. Declare some things of, of the Word in your home. And I mean this out loud. One of the things that we're doing with our Kenya team, we don't just think about what we want to pray. We don't just meditate on the word, though that's important. We declare the word. We say it out loud because there's power in the word. Go home today and declare the word of God over your home. Dads, go home and, and, and look up some promises in God's word for your home and start praying those prayers over your home and start ratcheting up the temperature, the spiritual temperature in your home and build your faith. Don't leave here going, well, I don't have it. I don't, I'm not there. I don't feel it. It's okay. The best, plant, best time to plant that tree is today. So start digging the hole. Amen. Father God, in Jesus' name today, I declare over this congregation, Lord, that we would be a people of faith who take you at, the, at your word, that we would be a people who engage in the impossible because you're the God of the impossible. Nothing is too hard for you. Lord, that we can look around, we can look at our lives, we can look at our circumstances, our homes, our neighbors, our finances, our work, uh, Lord, everything, our relationships, our, our marriages, and Lord, just be discouraged. Be like the people hearing the words of the 10 spies going, oh, my heart's just melting. There's nothing I can do. That we would be like Joshua and Caleb. We're going, yeah, it's going to be hard, but let's do this thing because God is for us, and if he is for us, who can be against us? Lord, there is nothing that is too difficult for you. There is nothing that is impossible for you, and I declare that over this congregation today. And I pray, Lord, that you would restore the harvest that the locusts have eaten. That's right. 
that they've devoured, the places, Lord, where the enemy has come and wreaked havoc, Lord, in homes, in marriages, in families, in children, Lord, that you would restore what the enemy has stolen 10 times, 100 times. Lord, that children would come back to the Lord. That those who have gone astray, those who have wandered, Lord, would find you once again, that they would come back to that place where they would surrender to you. God, I pray that we, each one of us, would be a people who honor our mothers and our fathers. Lord, whether we know them or not, whether they're close by or not, whether or not they've passed on, Lord, that our words would be honoring of our parents and that we would see the blessing that would come. Help us, Lord, for the dads in the room, for the fathers, the grandpas, the uncles. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to be a generation of men who lead, who are not satisfied to stand on the sideline, but that we would get out front and that we would lead, that we would stop making excuses, that we would stand in the authority we have because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and because of the word of our Heavenly Father. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.